Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for another SCF Online and happy long weekend. It's finally here, the May long weekend. Hope you're having an awesome weekend. I sometimes forget to introduce myself to you. My name is Chris. I'm the acting lead pastor here at Sobel Christian Fellowship. I just wanna take a second and uh, to let you know our SCF family, how important you are to us. We think about you all the time and we pray for you. You are important to us. From a staff and leadership team here at Sobel, I want you to know that we are all in on uh, this online way of doing ministry. We wanna do it in fact better and better. We wanna find new and uh, more effective ways to engage meaningfully with you so that we together can partner in this uh, incredible work of Jesus and his kingdom. So you are so important to us. We're 100% all in. Now, we're 100% all in on our in-person uh, uh, ministry as well here at Sobel Christian Fellowship. Sobel Church, SCF, is a, um, it's a big family, uh, in-person and online, uh, of people who love and follow Jesus. So uh, in-person and online, we, we love both. It's kind of like if, you have, uh, if you've got two kids or more than two kids, right? You love your kids uh, equally, but they're very different. They're totally unique from one another. And so our online ministry, very different from our in-person ministry, but we're all in 100% on both. And you know, our Sobel Christian Fellowship family is actually itself part of a larger Canadian family. And our Canadian family is called the Be in Christ Church of Canada, or BIC, or BIC. And yes, that could be confusing with the pen people and the cigarette lighter people, uh, but it actually isn't all that confusing. Um, you know, our denominational family, the Be In Christ Church of Canada, has been in Canada for over 200 years. So we were BIC way before the uh, pen people. You know, it's actually funny. This morning I was uh, writing myself a sticky note as a reminder from this pad, which I'm sure you can't see, but up here it says, Be In Christ Church of Canada. And uh, I happened to notice on the back that it was made by BIC. So BIC is uh, not only the pen people, not only the uh, cigarette lighter people, but now apparently our sticky note people as well. We get along quite well. The Be In Christ Church of Canada is a beautiful family. I love it. And the Be In Christ Church of Canada is itself part of a larger family, the BIC or BIC Global family. So the Be In Christ Church is not just in Canada, and it's not just in the United States, although it is. Actually, the majority of our denominational family is outside of North America. It truly is a global, beautiful, diverse family of people who love Jesus and follow him. Now, our Canadian family, the Be In Christ Church of Canada, has a theme verse, and it is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And it says this, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, right away you can see why this is a pretty appropriate theme verse, right? 
Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Christian, I want you to know today that you are new. You are new in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is gone, dead, and it's not coming back. You are new, and the new is here, and it's not going anywhere. Now, I can almost hear the wheels turning in your uh, head as you're thinking about this, and you're going, mm, I can kind of buy into the new thing because certainly something did change when I became a Christian. But as far as the old being gone, not so sure about that. I kind of feel like the old is still kicking around, like I might be old and new. That if the old is indeed gone, it's gone and it comes back like a revolving door. If the old is dead, well, it's like zombie dead and it uh, comes back and wreaks whatever kind of uh, zombie havoc uh, happens. And maybe the reason why you might feel that you can't possibly just be new, that you must be old and new, is because you still sin. And because you still get those thoughts, you know, those thoughts that I'm talking about, those unwelcome, unwanted, unhelpful, unrighteous thoughts, sometimes lustful thoughts. And so maybe you're thinking, well, I can't possibly just be new because I still sin. I can't possibly just be new because I still struggle with those thoughts. I must be new and old. Well, what we wanna to do today and next week as well is we wanna look at this new creation. We wanna look and see what is that really all about? What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean that Christ is in me? What is my identity in Jesus? Who am I in Jesus? What is this new creation really all about? And we wanna you know, talk about why it is, uh, if, I, if I'm new, then why do I still sin? If I'm new, then why do I still get those thoughts? I feel like I must be old and new at the same time. Well, I want you to know that in the Bible, there's a very good answer to that question. There's a, a very, very good explanation for why you still struggle and for why I still struggle and for why you still get those thoughts and for why I still get those thoughts because I do. You know, I think, I think we would be so much better off in the church if we were more open and honest about our struggles. I talk with people uh, on a fairly regular basis, Christian people who feel like they're the only one, that they're, like they're the only one that struggles, that they're the only one uh, who has these unwanted thoughts. They're the only one. Everybody else has it all together. Uh, everybody else has somehow managed to take captive every thought for Christ as we uh, aspire to do. 
We'd be so much better off if we were just honest. So often we pretend. You know, last week we looked at a verse from John's Gospel, John 1:14, which said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> and we said that word truth in Greek is aletheia, literally means uncovered. Jesus is God uncovered. And we're to be a people who are uncovered, a people of truth. The New Testament places a premium on truth telling. We're to be a people who are uncovered, a people who don't pretend. We'd be so much better off if we were more open and honest about our struggles. This is just one reason why I think small group ministry is so critically important. It provides a place where people can both know others and be known in uncovered fashion, in safety and support, where together um, we can do life together and uh, in honesty and authenticity, we can uh, you know, be followers of Jesus together and uh, not pretend. Well, we all struggle in many ways. We, we all get those thoughts, but what I want you to know, I want you to know this, Christian, that those thoughts with which you struggle do not come from your new heart. They do not come from your new heart. Now, we've used that phrase a number of times in recent weeks. And what we mean is this, that when you say yes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus comes into your life. He cleans house, moves in, gives you a new heart that is compatible with him. Christ lives in you. It's this incredible, miraculous surgery. Your old heart of sin, gone, a new heart that is compatible with Jesus. He lives in you. And I want you to know that those unwanted, unhelpful, sometimes unrighteous thoughts with which you struggle do not come from your new heart. They do not come from your new nature. They do not come from the new creation. They do not come from who you are. Paul uh, actually explains for us where they do come from. So if you have a Bible handy, you can open it up to the book of Romans. We're gonna look at one verse in Romans, and then we're gonna jump to the book of James and look at three verses there. And then we're gonna jump to the book of 1 John. So if you find Romans, you might wanna also find James, maybe stick something in there. Maybe while you're at it, find 1 John, stick something in there, unless you're just turning uh, all of this on, in which case it's a piece of cake. But we're gonna start in Romans chapter seven and verse 17. And let me just say right off the bat, this is great news. This is really great news. Paul writes, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. That is such good news, I'm gonna read it again. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. This is really great news. It's great news for me because there are times when I choose well, and there's other times when I choose poorly. There's times when I choose well, I choose the, the righteous, the healthy, 
um, the, the Jesus dependency way. And then there's other times when I don't choose well, other times when I react or overreact. And sometimes there's a, a relational price with people to pay in that. Sometimes I react with um, patterns of unrenewed thinking. And maybe that's happened to you and you know what I'm talking about. Well, when I choose, whether I choose well or choose poorly, here's the good news and it's the same for you. Paul says, um, Paul says that uh, it's no longer I myself who do it. It's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin. It's sin living in me. And what Paul is telling us here, and this is really important, Paul is telling us that sin is an it. Sin is like a parasite that we let take us over. Sin is like a force, an, another force that we let influence us. But here's the thing, and this is, this is, this is critical. You are not that it. You are not that parasite. You are not that force. You are a new creation in Christ. And so this morning and next week as well, what we want to do is we want to look into our newness. We want to try and gain a better understanding of our newness because when we do, when we gain a better understanding of our newness, of our identity in Jesus, well, it has this incredible steadying and anchoring um, um, result in our life. It holds us firm when things around us are changing or, or seem really uncertain. Our identity in Christ, when we understand it, we'll see that it is this unshakable, unbreakable, untakeable, beautiful reality uh, that we have as new creations in Christ. And what we're going to see as we look at the scriptures, uh, both today and next week, what we see is this. And I think this is a divine pattern, a divine design. The more that we know our newness, the more that we know we're new, that we know our identity in Christ, the more we know that we're new, the more we think new. And the more we think new, the more we act new. Let me say that again. The more we know our newness, the more we know that we're new, the more we understand our newness, well then the more we think new. And the more we think new, the more we act new. So behavior linked to identity. And that is a divine design that we'll see, I think, through several passages of scripture that we look at today and next week. If you don't understand your newness, if you don't understand your identity in Christ, well then the behavior passages in the New Testament are just gonna seem like a bunch of do's and don'ts. They're just gonna seem like a bunch of, a bunch of oughts and shoulds and, and, and try harder and it ends up being very religious and burdensome and onerous and heavy and discouraging and frustrating. It's not the way of Jesus. 
And so again, this morning uh, and, um, and next week, we'll look at scriptures. And uh, what we want to see and what I'd encourage you to look for is the connection, the correlation between identity and behavior. There's a direct link there. And so um, let's flip over to James chapter one. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just say again, at the risk of uh, repeating myself and frustrating you with this, this is so important. I want us to get this, look for the connection in James one between identity and behavior. If we don't understand our identity, we'll never understand the behavior passages and we'll become frustrated. And I don't want you to be frustrated. If we don't understand our identity, the behavior passages will frustrate us and it's gonna become very religious. And so identity linked to behavior, it's a divine design. So in James 1, we're gonna look at um, three verses. We're gonna look at verse 22, 23, and 24. 22 is, I think, pretty familiar. 23 and 24, not so much. So here's verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, full disclosure, every time I hear this verse, I feel like I want to duck or uh, flinch, kind of like the puppy who flinches at the very sight of the rolled up newspaper. I have been swatted with this verse over the decades, I would say. And um, I remember it in, in kind of King James language like this. Don't be, just a, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And the message that I got that I perceived almost as a swatting was do the word, be a doer of the word, try harder, do better. Don't be just a hearer, be a doer. Get out there, get it done, make it happen. What's wrong with you? Try harder, do better. You should be ashamed of yourself. Come on, um, get with it. This verse of scripture is not a rolled up newspaper at all. Let's look at uh, 22, 23, and 24 together. Do not merely Listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. So what we want to see here in these three verses is uh, really we want to see how do we go from being a hearer to being a doer. How do we go from being a hearer of the word to being a doer of the word? What's the link? What links those two things? What links hearing with doing? What's that missing link? What is the one thing in the Bible that we need to see here? Well, James uses the illustration of a mirror. And the Bible is a mirror, but it's kind of a trick mirror. A few years ago, Gene and I uh, went to Ottawa and we spent, uh, I think, three or four days there. And basically during that time, we went to as, as many museums as we could uh, uh, get to. And we went to, we went to several. 
And in one of them, and I can't exactly remember which one it was, I'm assuming it was the Science and Technology uh, Museum, but one of the displays was a mirror which looked very much like a normal mirror, the kind of full-length mirror where you can see yourself uh, head to foot. And when you stood in front of this mirror, it worked just like uh, a normal mirror. You would do this and, and uh, your image would do that. And you could smile, you could frown, you could shake, you could do anything. And it would, just like a regular mirror, instant, uh, instant uh, mirroring reflection of, of what you're doing. You could roll your eyes and, and uh, that would happen in the mirror. The only thing different is that the image in the mirror was of another person. And so as you would move, this other person would move exactly with you. It was like you were in another body. It was creepy. It was kind of off-putting, a trick mirror. There's a sense in which the Bible is a trick mirror, but certainly not in any kind of creepy or off-putting way. The Bible is a mirror. You you look into the mirror of the Bible and you see Jesus. You look into the mirror of the word and you see Jesus. And what Jesus does is he reflects back to me who I am in him. Let me say that again. The Bible is a mirror, but it's kind of like a trick mirror, but not in a creepy or off-putting way. We look into the mirror of the word and we see Jesus. And what Jesus does is he reflects back to me, he reflects back to us who we are in him. It's, and again, you can see identity linked with behavior. As I look into the mirror of the word and as I see who I am in Jesus, that's what James says the doer of the word uh, understands and remembers and doesn't forget. It's an incredible thing. You can, you can literally go to any part of the Bible and uh, see Jesus. Jesus says the whole thing's about him. He says he's on every page, and he is. You can go to Genesis 1 and see Jesus, and Jesus will reflect back to you from Genesis 1 who you are in him. You can go to the prophets. You can go to the Psalms. You can even go to the Mosaic Law, a law um, that was given to one nation. It was a conditional covenant with one nation, we have no spiritual connection to any of those laws. In fact, the author of Hebrews says those laws to us as Christ followers are obsolete and useless. And yet, the Bible is inspired. We can go even to that old covenant and see Jesus there. And Jesus will reflect back to us who we are in him. What really Jesus does in the pages of scripture is the truth of Romans 8:16 where he says that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I'm going to give you a little uh, preview of where we're going in the next few weeks. So today 
which is uh, Sunday, May 22nd. Uh, this is week five of this Untakeable series, and it's going to be eight weeks long. So we've got three more weeks after this. So we'll wrap up this, uh, this teaching series on June 12th. And then for two weeks, I'm going to be gone. Gene and I are going to be on some vacation. And so we're going to have guest speakers on June 19th and June 26th. And I've invited a couple friends of mine to come and uh, to preach. And you're going to enjoy it. Now, I, sh I should tell you this. This, this is, um, let me tell you a little, kind of a dirty little pastor secret. And um, I know this happens. I've done it. All right. So I know this happens. So a pastor is going on vacation and has to plan what we used to call pulpit supply. And uh, what you want to try and do, and a lot of pastors wouldn't admit to this, but you want to try and get people to preach who aren't quite as good a preacher as you are. Maybe they're actually kind of boring. So if you get a couple of boring people in, then when you come back from vacation, you're looking pretty good, right, to the congregation. Well, I've done the opposite of that. On, on June 19th and 26th, it'll be a significant upgrade, and uh, you're going to enjoy it. June 19th is going to be my friend John Hand, who's going to be here to preach. John is one of the most, well, he's one of the smartest people I've ever known, and so intuitive and insightful. He's going to come and he's going to talk about a Jesus-centered life and a Jesus-centered church. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. Then the following week is going to be my friend uh, Matt Vincent. And Matt actually works with our denominational family, the Be In Christ Church of Canada. And you're going to love Matt's enthusiasm. Matt has a passion for church planting. In fact, he has led a church planting network that is part of our denominational family, a network called Reunion, and has um, seen the birth of several uh, church plants. And uh, man, his, he's a guy whose enthusiasm just rubs off. You can't help but get enthused. Um, when you listen to Matt. So you're going to have those uh, two guys in uh, June 19th and 26th. Then when I'm back, uh, Lord willing, July 3rd, Sunday, July 3rd, we're going to begin a new series. And I don't know exactly what we're going to call it yet. Something like seeing Jesus in the Old Testament or finding Jesus in the Old Testament. What we're going to do is, is exactly what we've been talking about. We're going to look at Old Testament passages and kind of practice, kind of learn how to see Jesus there. So we'll literally go to Genesis 1 and, and, and look for Jesus. We'll go to the law and we'll look for Jesus. We'll go to the Psalms. We'll go to the prophecies and we'll look for Jesus. Jesus said the whole thing is about him. He shows up on every page and we want to learn how to, how to see him there, to see Jesus in the word and to see him reflect back to us who we are in him. I don't know about you, but I'm finding, um, as, I'm, as I'm having conversations with Christian people these days, whether they're part of our uh, SCF online family or our in-person family or um, Christians uh, from other churches, from our community, I'm finding that Christian people today are very frustrated. There seems to be a very high level of frustration 
uh, among Christian people, you know, Christian, Christian people who followed Jesus for a long time. And I think this frustration, I think, has been, um, I think COVID has had something to do with that. COVID is, a, is an accelerator. COVID uh, kind of takes existing trends and just really speeds them up and amplifies things. And, and uh, you know, COVID can take what's good and make it great, take what's bad and make it awful. And so maybe some of this frustration that I'm talking about was, was around pre-COVID, maybe kind of uh, just beneath the surface, but in COVID with all of the disruptions and, and what this frustration has really uh, risen to the surface. And there are Christians who are frustrated saying things like this, I don't know if church works for me anymore. People who've gone to church for decades, you know, heard hundreds of sermons or maybe thousands of sermons who after, you know, the last couple of years of disruption and lots of time to think and to analyze and to reflect, who are now saying, you know what, I'm not really sure church works for me anymore because after all those hundreds or thousands of sermons, my life doesn't seem to align and after those hundreds or thousands of sermons, my thinking, my thoughts don't seem to align. So is there really any value for me in connection to church? I'm not sure it works for me anymore. And you know what, today, I don't want to sound like the amazing Kreskin. Um, if you're over 50, you'll know who I mean. I don't want to sound like, let's see, I don't want to sound like a salesperson who like, I know the secret and I've got what you need, but I feel like I kind of know the secret. And I want to tell you what I think the secret is to these, for these Christians who are feeling frustrated. And I'm going to tell you the secret, but I, and you know what? Some of you are going to disagree with me right off the bat. In fact, some of you might be offended as I share what I think the secret is. Please don't turn off your computer or TV or phone. Hang in there and um, hear me out on this. Here's what I think the secret is. I think the secret is to believe that you are good. Now, immediately, I can almost hear the bells, the warning bells ringing in your heads. And uh, maybe some of you are seeing like flashing red lights, warning, warning. Uh, you might be thinking, Higginson, you're, what you're saying is heresy. It's heretical. You can't say that in church or anywhere else. You can't say, it's heretical to say that people are good. In fact, you might be, you know, maybe you're thinking, man, Higgins said, I just listened to another sermon last week on YouTube, a preacher who's way smarter than you are, who actually said there's none good. No, not one, there are none righteous. No, not one. And you know what? I do know that verse. And it is possible to take that verse out of context. The context of that verse is a before salvation context. It's a before the indwelling Christ context. It's a before the new heart context. It's a before the born again experience context. It's a before you become a new creation in Christ context. And in Romans chapter three, where that verse is found, it's saying that before coming to Christ, like apart from Christ, there are none good, no, not one, none righteous, no, not one. And that is absolutely true 
apart from Christ. But think about this for a moment. Take a moment and ask yourself the question, I'm a new creation. What did God make me? What did God make me into? What did he make you into? What did God recreate you as? If we're new creations, what did he recreate us as? If he took out our old, no good heart of sin and gave us a new heart, what kind of new heart did he give us? You see, this passage in James would make no sense whatsoever if we're to go to the word, to the mirror of the word, and then walk away going, man, I'm, I'm awful, I'm dirty, I'm a sinner, I'm evil, I've gotta go out and do better, I've gotta go out and try harder, I've gotta go out and somehow be a doer of the word. Let me say that that approach doesn't work. I can tell you that from experience. It doesn't work and it won't work. And what we need to see is having looked into the mirror of the word and see Jesus reflecting back to us who we are in him, we need to learn to see our righteousness, that we are in Christ righteous, that he, Jesus, this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might, what? become the righteousness of God in him. We need to learn to look at the mirror of the word and see Jesus reflecting back to us the fact that we are righteous in him. And you can see the correlation between identity and behavior as we understand our identity in Christ as we understand who we are reflected, Jesus reflecting back to us who we are in him, how that um, correlates to doing the word. We need to look at the word and see our righteousness. We need to look at the word and see our rightness, that we are good. And that's not bragging. You know, some Christians have this distorted kind of humility where they just kind of want to wallow in a dirty view of themselves and think that that is somehow healthy Christianity. You know, God is, God is pure and I'm dirty. God is beautiful and I'm ugly. That's not the gospel. And that is not the Christian life, no. And you know, there are frustrated Christians today who are striving and trying to become like Jesus. They're trying to clean up their heart. They're trying to clean up their life. They're trying to do the word. But I think that any Christian who thinks that they need to try hard to clean up their heart and to clean up their uh, life need to look into the mirror of the word of God and see that they are not evil, that they're not dirty, that they're not distant from God, that they are in fact clean, they are righteous, they are good, they are holy, they are set apart, they are a new creation in Christ. Well, let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter three and verse nine. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. 
Now, it's helpful with this verse if you have just a smidgen of Greek grammar, which sounds really boring, and it actually is really boring, uh, but it is a helpful thing. This verse in Greek is written in the present tense. Present tense in Greek is different than present tense in English. Present tense in the Greek signifies ongoing continuous action, ongoing continuous trending. And so what John is doing here in 1 John 3, he's actually talking about a trend reversal, a reversal of trends. And he's saying this, if we're born of God, we cannot continually keep on keeping on in a sinful trending. That's the idea that John is getting across here. And of course, we've already acknowledged, we all struggle. I struggle, you struggle. We all struggle in many ways as the parasite of sin latches onto us, so we're aware of that. It's obvious. But what I want us to see is the power of this passage. It is powerful. John is saying, if God has given birth to you, it's gonna impact your life in a major way. If God has given birth to you, it's gonna impact what you want, what you think, it's gonna impact the way that you talk, it's gonna impact the way that you choose. If you are born of God, you cannot keep on keeping on in a sinful trending. There's going to be, there is going to be a role reversal, a trend reversal if you're born of God. Now you can try and suppress it, you can try and delay it, you can try and fight against it, you can try and hold it back, but it's gonna happen if you're born of God. If God's spirit gave birth to you, then there is going to be a major impact on the way that you think and the way that you talk and the way that you choose over a lifetime. There's going to be a trend reversal. It is impossible for you, impossible, to keep on keeping on in the same way sinning for 90 years. It's impossible to keep on keeping on in sin for, for 90 years and then at the end of 90 years go, wow, I really enjoyed all that sin. It's impossible if you're born of God. Why? Because you've got a new heart. You've had a heart surgery, a heart transplant. Your old heart of sin is gone. You've got a new heart that's, uh, that's compatible with Jesus. You've been forgiven, cleansed, made righteous, new at the core. Jesus has moved in. He's in you. You've got a good heart. You're good. You see, born of God. Born of God. That's obviously birth language. That's birth certificate language. That's... DNA language, so you can see how your righteousness, your righteous behavior links to your newness. So as we understand our new birth, our new creation, our newness, you can see the correlation to uh, righteousness, to behavior. And so the more that we, again, the more we know our newness, the more we understand our newness, the more we understand our identity in Christ as new creations in Christ, then the more that we'll think new. And the more that we think new, the more that we'll act new. So there's a correlation between identity and behavior. Understanding our newness will propel us to godly living. 
And understanding our newness is also gonna let the air out of that frustration that so many Christians feel when we try to do the word in religious fashion. It doesn't work. Well, we're gonna leave it here for today. Next week, when we come back, we're gonna make three points about our identity. And I'm gonna give you a sneak peek at, a sneak peek at these three points. Number one, your new identity in Jesus propels a new way to, to choose, a new way to make choices, to make decisions. Your identity in Jesus propels a new way to walk, a new way to live, a new lifestyle. And your new identity in Jesus propels a new enthusiasm for unity as we understand our newness and our identity it brings a whole new enthusiasm for how we relate together as a church, as the family of God together. I hope you can come back. Have an awesome long weekend.